Gwyneth, thank you for worshiping with us this Easter Sunday as we remember and celebrate our risen Lord, as we rejoice in the resurrection that I think um, has been made very clear through what we have said and and, uh, have sung this morning. And so uh, we're going to dive into what is Easter all about, uh, the gospel and the truth that's contained therein. Um, and if you have small kids, as has been mentioned, and uh, they are rowdy, have no fears, don't feel any pressure or angst about that. It's good on a Sunday like this that we can worship as a whole family, as we can gather together and our young ones can watch us praise the Lord, as they can hear why we praise, as they can process all together, as they hopefully maybe ask you questions when we leave here, and they, they want to know and process through what's going on. So it's always good to worship as a family. And so uh, as a family, we can take a deep breath together and relax and uh, have a good time together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time that we can gather as your body, as we can gather as a room full of believers and praise your wonderful holy name. Lord, thank you so much that we can take a time out of our year and just reflect and ponder and rejoice in what you have done through your Son, how you have saved us from our sin through him, how we rejoice in the life that we have through him. That we can remember the events that we celebrate on Easter and rejoice in what it means for us, what it means for this world, what it means for our relationship with you. So Lord, I just pray for this time as we look at these events, as we look at what Easter means, that you can show us what it means, that you can change hearts, that you can embolden us in our faith, that you can bring people to know you. You can maybe move us to take that next step of of discipleship or pursuit of you, that we can be yours in whatever we do. We praise your holy name and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's Easter Sunday. And so some people might say, well, why Easter? Why would we take a time and celebrate Easter? The world might look in and say, this is kind of silly, isn't it? They see the Easter bunny, they see eggs, they they might question what's going on there, and they go, well, this seems weird. But it's good that we take a time and we can celebrate Easter because when Easter Sunday, during Easter week, we remember the events on how God has saved us through Jesus Christ. We remember that God loved us so much that he would send his son to live for us, to fulfill the law, and then to die in us, taking our sin upon himself on that cross. But not only that, to rise again, showing the life that we have in him through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's good that we celebrate that. It's good that we have a time during the year where we focus on those events. And in fact, it's probably the oldest Christian holiday that we know of. That very early in the Christian's history, Christian church history, they took a time to celebrate Easter. They took a time to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Because these events that we celebrate and remember are events that give us hope. In a world that maybe we're looking for hope and we can't find hope, these events give us hope that God is in control, that God has a plan, that God loves us to the extent that he sent his son to die for us and to rise for us. And we need to remember that. 
But sometimes people object to even us celebrating Easter. They might see Easter, as I said, they might see it as a kind of a strange thing, and they see the Easter bunny, the eggs, they see the candy, and some people get all caught up in this myth that Easter came from non-Christian roots. And they say, well, you know, it's, it's this weird word, Easter, where does it even come from? And people started making this kind of myth that is worshiping a pagan god, a fertility god during spring, which there's actually no historical evidence for whatsoever. That some monk in the 18th century kind of made up a, a, a fertility god that they, oh, this is what they did, but there's no evidence that that was ever happened. And then in Germany, the good old German for, for, uh, folklorist, Jakob Grimm, you know, Grimm fairy tales. He did the same thing. He's like, oh, there must have been some kind of German fertility goddess, and that's why we call it Easter. But again, there's no evidence to that. He's the only one who's ever said that and looked into those things. And people say, well, but it doesn't have those pagan kind of roots because of the Easter egg and the Easter bunny. Those obviously, I mean, look at them. They gotta be some weird origin in there, but they don't. Really, when you look at it, when you look at it historically, the Easter bunny came about during the 17th century, first in Germany, and the German immigrants brought it over to America. The Oosterherr, the Easter hare, this became a good symbol for the time because Easter happens in spring. And so they probably looked around and said, wow, look at all these rabbits. They're kind of multiplying like rabbits. And so it's kind of like, wow, it's a good symbol made for his time. And the, this Oosterherr brought gifts to the kids, and they actually would leave carrots out for him, kind of like the whole... Um, traditions that developed around Santa Claus. And the eggs actually, Easter eggs actually were started by Christians because they were a symbol of the tomb and that priests back in the olden days would use them as a symbol of this tomb. And then the people who were practicing Lent and they couldn't eat meat or eggs. And at the end of that 40 days, it was a treat that they could have an egg that they could crack open and they could use as a symbol of the open, empty tomb as well as having a nice little egg. So it's like, so people make this myth and they kind of question it, but at the same time, there's no basis for that. That's the earliest Christian holiday that we celebrate and remember who Jesus is. And other people want to say, well, it's, it's become commercialized and the society has kind of taken it over. And we can kind of agree with that. You can walk into Walmart and you see the aisles of Easter stuff. It's crazy. Now, Easter actually has become the number one seasonal candy selling day in the United States. It overtook Halloween and Valentine's Day. And so, yeah, there's a commercial element, but why would we shy away from it when the, the populace at large has awareness that something special is happening, has awareness that the church is celebrating something, and we can speak into that, and yes, we are celebrating our risen Lord. And we can use that as an opportunity to speak into their lives and the truth of what Easter is all about. And so we celebrate today Resurrection Sunday, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. In fact, every Sunday as we gather as a church and we preach the gospel, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. But it's good to focus and spend some time and kind of narrow it down and say, this is what we rejoice in. This is what we celebrate. This is what we're remembering. And so it's good to celebrate these events. But to celebrate these events, we have to know what happened on Easter weekend. We already read one account in, in the book of Matthew, and we can read almost in any gospel these, these accounts that happen, and we're going to read just what's happening on that Resurrection Sunday in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, flip to the book of John. If not, it's going to be on here. 
We're going to start in John chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 10, and this is what it says. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed." For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. We see a glimpse of what, actually what is going on. And so we, to put it into context, we have to know why were they amazed that this tomb was empty. And so we have to know the story of Jesus and who Jesus is. Is that Jesus, the itinerant preacher and uh, a teacher who was born from the Virgin Mary, who was born under that promise, uh, that, uh, that star, who was born as the, as the lineage of David, the, the king of, of, of Israel. He was more than just a preacher or teacher, but he was God himself. He was the son of God. And he came proclaiming that, came teaching that. He performed miracles to prove it. He performed healings and exorcisms and so much more. And he taught with authority that even the religious leaders were wondering, who is this that could teach with such authority? And he came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, that the kingdom of God was in their midst because he was here installing this kingdom of God. He came claiming to be the promised one. The one that Israel had been waiting for. The long-awaited king that was going to rule forever in David's line. The one who's going to bring back the glory days. They were looking at this and waiting for them. And he said, this is who I am, the one you've been looking for. But the religious leaders didn't like that. Because they didn't believe it. They didn't, they, he didn't fit their expectations. And so they worked with one of his followers to portray him. To arrest him in the middle of the night to drag him before mock courts and, and some shady mock trials to convince Roman officials to execute him. And they thought that was the end. They thought they had finished this upstart Jesus. That as he went to the cross, they thought it was over. But it wasn't. For Jesus rose from the grave. And that changed everything. For Jesus went to the cross and then he rose from the grave three days later and that changed everything. And I love the gospel so much because I love how in verse 9 it says the disciples basically didn't understand what this meant. That John writing this, he looked into the empty tomb and he believed that Jesus rose, but they really did not understand fully how that is what had to happen for salvation to be brought to us. I like that because sometimes if we just read these events or we just hear these events, we can wonder, what does this mean? What is the significance of these events? Yeah, we can pull out, oh, this is, this is something miraculous. This is something that doesn't happen. People don't rise from the grave. We can pull out, oh, this proves that Jesus truly is who he says he is. And we can pull out how that he has defeated death, but we can kind of be left wondering, what does this truly mean? And so we have to go to Paul as he explains what this means in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and Paul, talking about the resurrection, says this, 
Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That we can say the gospel stands on our risen Savior. The good news that we proclaim to people, how we have salvation through Jesus Christ, rests and stands on this fact that he came out of that grave. The gospel stands on our risen Savior. For on that cross, we can see how he takes our sins, but when he rises from the grave, it shows and shows and proves who he is, that he truly is God's son, that he is vict- has victory over sin and death, that he is showing the life that we have in him if we believe in him, because the gospel stands on our risen Savior. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that these events of Easter weekend that we celebrate, the fact that Jesus died, the fact that he rose again, all happened according to Scripture. Another translation paraphrase and message puts it, these events happened exactly as Scripture says. That we see very clearly that these events, Easter weekend, were not some other plan B of God, but they were God's plan from the beginning. That many, 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 many years before these events happened, he had told how they were going to happen through his prophets, through the Bible, the scriptures, showing that this had to happen. And Paul knows this. He says, I, student of the scripture, know that God had planned for this to happen, and he, when he says these happened according to scripture, he most likely was thinking about many different verses and passages from the Bible. But no doubt he was probably thinking a lot about Isaiah 53. That meant hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah spoke of that suffering servant who would come and redeem Israel. And when you read these passages, you can't help but see the events of Easter taking place. In Isaiah 53, when it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a men of sorrows and equated with grief. As with one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteem him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we stream him stricken, smitten by God, and inflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before shears in silence, so he opened not his mouth. And we can see again and again through that passage, the predicting and prophesizing the events of what were going to take place on that Easter Sunday, that first Easter, that Paul says this was according to God's will, his plan is according to Scripture. So there's some implications we can pull from that, especially when we take this phrase and pair it with how Jesus talked about the scriptures pointing to him, like in John 5, uh, 39, when he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, 
that, but and it is they that bear witness about me. He's basically saying, hey, all these scriptures point to me. And so when it says this happened to according scriptures, we can see that at Easter, on Easter Sunday, the, the cross and the resurrection kind of forms the climax of God's story. It's a climax of scripture, that everything was leading up to this point, that all that came before was leading to it, all that comes after flows from it. Which means that when we read the Bible, it's not a loose collection of moral tales, but it tells the story of God. It tells the story of God and how he's redeeming his people, how he's setting up history, setting up kingdoms, setting up the events that happen so that one day Jesus could stand and die on the cross for us and then rise for us. Which means that this points to the fact that there, this is God's story. The creator's story of how the world makes sense, the story that he's been moving towards, and the story that he's going to be working out. This is the story of the cosmos, the story of the universe itself. That's God's story. And if it's God's story, the creator's story that makes sense of all other stories, we look for our meaning, our purpose within that story, that our life, our own personal stories, what's going on in our life only makes sense when we start putting them in the context of God's story, of his redemption he brings through Jesus Christ. It's funny, we, uh, we were planning on having an Easter egg hunt yesterday, but something happened, oh yeah, it rained a lot. But preparing for that, we got some activity books for, to give to the kids, these little Easter activity books. It's just kind of fun. And my son was looking through them, and there was this little activity that had all these kind of little strands, and it's like you got to pick the right strand and find if that, which one leads to the cross. And he looked at it and he goes, well, it's easier if you just start at the cross and then work backwards and you find the right one. And I was like, that will preach. Yes, it will. <laughs> You're right, son. It's easier... It makes sense of life. It makes sense of the world if we start with Jesus. If we go back and look at Jesus and figure out who he is and what we believe about him, it makes this world make sense. We actually can find our purpose and our meaning in this world because Jesus makes sense of it all. He gives meaning to it all. And that's why we celebrate Easter, because we go back and we go, we start with the cross, we start with Jesus, because that makes sense. The gospel stands on our risen Lord. And this gospel, as we've heard already this Sunday, this good news is a simple fact that Jesus died for our sins. As Paul says, this is what he preaches that Jesus died according to our sins. He took our place. This is according to Scripture, that he took our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin took our sin so that we might have the righteousness of God, that he stood condemned where we should have stood condemned. He took our place, and when he took our place, he also had this great exchange where he gave us his right standing, his righteousness with God, so that now we can enter into a relationship with God. Theologians would call this penal substitutionary atonement, which sounds fancy. You can pull it out in conversation if you want. But it's what we remember on Easter Sunday. It's penal. It's justice being done. Sin had to be paid for. Someone had to pay the price. It's substitutionary, meaning we did not pay the price, but Jesus stood in our stead. He took our place. He subbed in. He said, I got this. 
It is atonement. Our sins are paid for. Our relationship with God was made possible. It brought us to God. This is what we remember on Easter. So often, sometimes we're tempted when we reflect on this to focus solely on the cross about this happening. But the cross and the empty tomb go together. You really can't separate them. For without the empty tomb, the cross really just becomes another death because the empty tomb proves and vindicates who Jesus is. It shows how he's victorious over sin and death. It shows how death could not hold him. Sin had no claim on him. And that he rose again, showing us the life that we now have in him. And so we remember that and celebrate this, that he is alive because he rose again. And because he is alive we know that we can have life, true life, now and forever in him. And we rejoice because the enemy has been defeated. Sin has been taken care of. We now can celebrate the life we have with God through Jesus Christ. We stand on our risen Savior. Well, some might object to this and say, well, they don't think this is needed. Why do we need a Savior in the first place? Why do we need our sins forgiven? And I love how 1 Corinthians continues and says this in verses 17 through 20, kind of illustrates why we need this to happen. It says, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But if Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have been fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is why we celebrate. This is what we rejoice in. This solves humanity's greatest predicament, humanity's greatest problem. We on our own, are dead in sin and trespass. We have missed a mark. We do not live up to God's standard. We are rebels who want nothing to do with him. But God loved us so much, he was not content to let us stay there. But he sent his son so that we can live through him. And so that our, our humanity's problem has been solved if we look to Christ because we now have new life in him. That all of humanity is in one of two camps. You're either in Adam, lost in sin, <coughs> or you're in Christ, in new life, knowing him, loving him, walking in that new life now. This is the gloriousness of the gospel, that God loved us in spite of our sin, that God loved us why we're still sinners and rebels. That God loved us to the extent that he was willing to send his own son to live that perfect life we could not live. To die the death that we deserve. To rise to prove who he is and show that what life awaits us all so that we too could have that life in him and be connected to our Father. It's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday because the gospel stands on our risen Savior. And this good news changed the world. 
We can see it in the accounts of Scripture that these, these 11 men who were scared, terrified, they were going to be next, they were maybe going to be next on the cross. They were scared and cowering in an upper room, and yet the gospel comes. In fact, that Jesus rose and he appears to them and changes their lives, and now they go out not scared what's going to happen, willing to defy their religious leaders, willing to defy an empire to preach this gospel and proclaim it to be true. It changes the world. It only took a few centuries for the, after this, this good news to happen, after Jesus rose, for this empire all of a sudden to be changed from the inside out as it became a Christian empire, as Christians multiplied and people saw the truth of who Christ was. It's still changing the world today. As Christianity is the largest religion in the world, as people are still proclaiming this news, as people are still becoming saved, as they look upon Christ and realize how he has saved them through his life, death, and resurrection. It still changes the world and even our community now as people who once did not believe see the truth of Christ, see how he has saved them, and are changed forever. As they go from being in an Adam lost in sin to now being in Christ, pulled from darkness into his glorious kingdom because they see the truth of who he is. And it all happens because Jesus rose from the grave as we celebrate today. The gospel stands on our risen Savior. It should be clear why we celebrate Easter then, right? Because it's a joyous event we should remember and celebrate. Because we know the truth of Jesus and how he changes everything. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember the events that happened. Remember what he's done for us. Remember and rejoice in that. We're going to not only just remember, we're also going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate these events. We're going to celebrate what actually happens. We're going to celebrate how God saves us through Jesus Christ. And then we're going to proclaim that truth to all who need to hear. We remember, we celebrate, and we proclaim. And we're going to do that right now as we close this time through celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, this is this institution that uh, Jesus enacted on the Last Supper where he took the Passover feast and he kind of reoriented and showed how it pointed to him and he fulfilled it. And how he took the bread and he broke it and says, this is my body, pointing to what's going to happen on the cross. He took the cup and blessed it and said, this, this is my blood of the new covenant, showing that through the shedding of his blood, the new covenant is going to be ushered in. People are going to be brought to God now through him. He took this and he said, now do this in remembrance of he, me. And so the Christian church has done this again and again as they met together, as they celebrated. We partook in the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus, to celebrate the salvation we have in Jesus, and also to proclaim to one another and to the watching world what we believe in and why we are celebrating. And so we're going to do that right now. And so I'm going to invite the band back up. They're going to play some music for us in a little bit. And, when, and, and I ask everyone just to prepare your heart to receive the Lord's Supper, confess sin, think about and meditate about who Jesus is and what he has done for, for you. And then when you're ready, you can come up, grab the elements, and take them back to your seat. We practice, uh, the, we, we say anyone who has professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to the table. If you have kids who have not, we ask that as parents, you, you kind of guard that. But if they have, they're welcome to come and, and, and join us in the Lord's Supper.
We practice also the, the two-cup method, and so you'll grab two cups in one little spot. The bottom one has the bread, and the top one has uh, the juice. And we do that for sanitary reasons, and it makes it easier for you. But I ask that you reflect upon who Christ is. Reflect upon the events of Easter Sunday. And then when you're ready, please come up, grab one of the elements and bring it back, and then we'll come back and celebrate all together and partake in with them all together. Well, let's pray, and then let's prepare our hearts. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this time, Easter Sunday, where we can reflect upon who you are, rejoice in your name, rejoice in the salvation you brought through Jesus Christ, rejoice in his resurrection. Lord, I just pray that we can see the importance of this, be moved to follow because of it. Put our trust in this great hope of our risen Savior. Lord, I pray for his time as we remember his life and death and his resurrection through taking of the elements of communion of Lord's Supper, that you can just bring this to mind all the more of how great our salvation is through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So they're going to play some light music, and then when you're ready... You can come up and partake.
during the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body. Take this. Remember some me. So let's take this and remember the sacrifice. In the same way, he took the cup and blessed it. So this is the blood of my covenant poured out for you. Let's take this and remember our life in him. Let's pray. Praise be to your name, God. Praise be to, yourself, to, to Jesus Christ who saved us. Lord, I just ask that you continue to remind us so that we can celebrate and rejoice all the more on this Easter Sunday. That we can never doubt, never question the salvation that we have if we believe in Jesus Christ. That we can walk in his ways, seek to love others and preach the good news for his glory. That we can help expand his church. That we can be yours in all that we do. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand up, church. Let's sing out. Praise his name.